You're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to episode 13 of Commentary Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm Max. And today we are joined by my uncle Tony. How's it going? Uh, it's great. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, thanks for joining us. Now, Uncle Tony, you're a librarian by day, mm-hmm. but a Sherlock Holmes fan by night. I, I am a Sherlock Holmes fan. I, I um, But only at night. Well, you know, during the course of my, my professional life, of course, I've had the opportunity to Where, recommend Reader's Advisory, oh, okay, turn yeah. some people on to, right. uh, to Holmes. Uh, yes, uh, Holmes is one of my... My passions, yes, I like I like Sherlock Holmes. Have since I was thirteen years old. Okay, but before before we get started on Sherlock Holmes, I guess yes. Um, just so that people know, since this is a a Star Trek show. Oh yes, okay. Um, what what is your relationship with Star Trek? I have never been a big science fiction guy. I I appreciate the interest in the genre. Is it something that I spend a lot of time with on a personal level? Probably not. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I can't remember a single time you've ever watched Star Trek, as far as I can recall. Well, um, I, I, I do remember, I, now you can probably correct me as to my, my, my dates and my memory, but um, I do recall going to see The Wrath of Khan. There you go, 1982. So you would 1982, have been, there, that's, there you go, yeah. I was the year I graduated from college. So um, I, I do have that memory. Well, that, that's a good. Se- well, what I don't know if you remember since it was thirty-one years ago. But what did you think Thanks of the Wrath of Khan? The distance on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, what do 31. I remember about the Wrath of Khan? I don't have any negative thoughts about it. I don't know that I have that's many, a good place to start. many thoughts at all. I, I think I was pleasantly entertained, from what I can recall. Okay. Um, it was fun. Okay. Well, well, Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan is kind of like the perfect entryway into this series, since that's the one which was. Directed by Nicholas Meyer and ghostwritten by him as well. Okay. My my earliest memories of Sherlock Holmes were really, um, you know, uh, hat and what based? <laughs> in a sense, you know, yeah. what, what, watching the uh, the show that was on on Mystery and, and what have you. And I, I remember, you know, watching that show with you, and Jeremy and, Brett. Yeah, you were okay. you were a pretty big fan of that. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I, I to date I think it's it's still the gold standard for film capturing. Uh, of Conan Doyle's character. So now I, I remember, uh, you know, when when I first found out that Nicholas Meyer had written the Seven Percent Solution, mm-hmm. you know, I, w- I was kind of fascinated by that idea, and yeah. and I, I mentioned it mm-hmm. to you since mm-hmm. I knew that you were a big fan of of the canon at at, right. at the very least, mm-hmm. and you told me like, oh yeah, he did. Not only that, but he wrote this other book, right. West End Horror, right. um, and. Um, here they are, and then you actually gave me, you know, the, mm-hmm. the two books, mm-hmm. which was pretty cool, which right. I've finally right. gotten around to, to reading now. What did you think about the seven percent solution? In in the Holmesian world, they call uh, what what Myers do, did and what others do uh, pastiches, I think. But Nicholas Meyer um, was probably the first of the um, non Conan Doyle people that I read uh, dealing with Sherlock Holmes stories. I read the canon when I was 14. I, I received a, uh, a copy, a one-volume edition. Um, Christopher Morley was the editor. And I remember just 
tearing through that. Probably within the in the span of a year, I had read the entire canon. Of course, you know you, you, your hunger is always for more and more and more because you. you know. So I'm not really sure how I remember getting turned on to Nicholas Meyer. I have a vague recollection that one of my friends in college who was also heavily into Sherlock Holmes um, mentioned that, hey, there's this book, The 7% Solution, and, you know, you should read it. And, of course, I did and liked it so much that I read the the other two Nicholas Meyer creations. And I've read a lot of these pastiches, mm-hmm. you know, since. And in my mind, Meyer's work in terms of the pastiches, is still kind of the standard or the, or the bar for yeah. um, Sherlock Holmes um, um, type stories. They've kind of stood the test of time. And I think that's that's an indication as to um, how closely they've captured the Conan Doyle character. I didn't even uh, know that, that he did anything other than 7% solution mm-hmm. until you handed me the West End Horror, but um, obviously he did, and, and that's the, the book that we're covering tonight, which he wrote um, in 1976, which was two years after uh, 7% Solution right. came out. Uh, as far as the, just a, a, a brief synopsis of, uh, of of this book, it's basically Holmes in a mystery involving the uh, British theater scene right. at the time. Right. Would, would you, Max, you want to? Well, um, the, the first book, the 7% solution is, is very much like Holmes goes into rehab. Mm-hmm. Also, someone gets murdered. Yeah. And this one is more like someone gets murdered in right. the British theater scene. Right. And Oscar Wilde is there and Gilbert and Sullivan are there. And, uh, some other people who might, who you might know the names of get involved. Well, Shaw, Bram Stoker. Had, Shaw has a pretty big role. Yeah. He does, but not like in his capacity as George Bernard Shaw. No, no. More ex- in his capacity as a guy who lives in London. Right. And, and as a critic. Yes, that's yeah. true. As a critic, yeah. yeah. The critic, which is sort of, um, uh, you know, I think most people who know George Bernard Shaw now right. don't really know that he Playwright. was more famous for being a critic than, right. than anything else. Um, but, Yes, uh, I mean I know Pygmalion, but I don't know what he said about Gilbert and Sullivan. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Nobody's nobody's publishing those. I think I think that's what's interesting in, in the West End horror is that you see some of these literary figures, which everybody has name recognition of. Yes, you may not know a lot about their work necessarily, but you know, oh George Bernard Shaw. I've heard yeah. of him. I've heard of Bram Stoker and Dracula, right? And then mm-hmm. I've heard of uh, Oscar Wilde, and 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 so. Um, it's kind of interesting to see these characters that we all have probably a name recognition for um, described in, 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 in a light that, that kind of um, um, shed some background on their, on their, you know, what, yeah. who they actually were, you know, um, George Bernard Shaw as critic. If somebody came up to me and said, who is George Bernard Shaw? I would have said, well, it's a playwright. Yeah, you know? mm-hmm. he wrote that Pygmalion right, thing. Right, but, you might know him from the movie. But the knowledge of, of him being a, you know, um, a, a well-known literary critic, yeah. that wouldn't be something that would come to mind. So I, I, uh, Apparently he also had a different name for those. Criticism oh, yes, that's general. right. Yeah, he yeah. wrote under another, yeah. yes, yes, a pseudonym. So that's yeah. probably part of it. Yes, yes. Yeah. Part of it is that, you know, uh, you know, GBS is associated with plays, right? And whatever the other name is, right. I forget. Right, is not right. So that's probably part of it. Probably intentional. Probably he was probably shaping his own legacy. I, I think a lot of literary, uh, especially early literary figures, when we think of them, um, did that just to yeah. see how 
how their work would be received in the absence of knowledge of who they were. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I, 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 it certainly has been a, uh, something that many, many authors have done. Um, yeah. George Eliot, you know, Silas Marner. George Eliot was a woman. Yes. Used, used the man's name because, you know, when, when, when she was writing, the thought of a woman author, you know, women didn't do that. Yeah. You know, so. Well, and there's precedent for that in Star Trek. Yeah, uh, D.C. Fontana, who was uh, a, a very big member of the writing staff. She who was used, also female. Yeah, her name really? was Dorothy yeah. Fontana. She used the so name even this DC modern Fontana to... Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. but I mean, you know, Star Trek depicted a future, but the producers were very much stuck in the... Uh... <laughs> some of the producers were stuck, some of them weren't, but the okay. studio and the network people, yeah. okay. they were pretty, no, that's mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah. There would not be an equal amount of women. Right. Okay, yeah. Very interesting. I mean, there's nobody needs that many secretaries. So, in terms of like the just basic specifics of the plot, you know, the, the George Bernard Bernard Shaw, who's apparently friendly with with uh, Holmes, hires Holmes to investigate the murder of another critic, mm-hmm. and this leads to a larger um, mystery mm-hmm. involving yes. the uh, the the British theater right. scene, the well, West End theater scene, because there are there, there's essentially no clues. Right, like the, the the crime scene reveals like almost nothing about the actual incident. So, mm-hmm. like, a big chunk of the book is trying to figure out where to investigate. Right. Yeah. Which right. is sort of unusual for Holmes because usually it's a short story and it's like nine pages, and you know, in the first page, you're like, it's that guy with the weird hat, but I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. This is this is more uh, akin to probably one of the the novels, so to speak. Hound of the Baskervilles? Hound of the Baskervilles, you know, uh, Study in Scarlet, uh, Sign of the Four. Um, uh, It's not that neat little package of, you know. um, But even a Study in Scarlet starts off like clues. Right, right. And then then there are really weird long departures, but they mean something. I I think one of the things that I I found about the West End horror is um, in the the absence of knowledge, if if a um, total novice had picked this book up and uh, started to read it, uh, it would be somewhat difficult if you didn't have some rudimentary knowledge of English theater, if you, d- if you didn't know George Bernard Shaw, yeah. if you didn't know Gilbert and Sullivan. That was you, actually the thing. I, like, Gilbert and Sullivan the ones I knew least about. Yeah, I, I mean, this, this book was very edifying in terms yeah. of their relationship. I, you mm-hmm. know, I, much different than what I, my preconceived thought about. I've always imagined they were like the Coen brothers, but with singing and dancing. Right. Turns out they weren't. No. And, and so that was very enlightening. So, Unless they are. Yeah. So I think Meyer does a really good job of, of introducing people to you know, late 19th century British um, theater. And when you think about it, what a creative time that was in, 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 in British theater, English theater. Yeah. You know, I mean, the giants of the stage, you know, uh, Oscar Wilde, you know, um, Gilbert and Sullivan. You know, these are all contemporaries. It's kind, of, it's kind of amazing to imagine that, like, throughout the London's history, there yeah. have been many periods where, like, you know, 13 different super famous people from history all knew each other. And some of them didn't like each other. Yeah, that's right. amazing. I, I, I had to get a kick. I got a kick out of here when um, I think it was Shaw's character who was um, very uh, dismissive of um, Shakespeare. Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah. You know that kind of the 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 the, the Godfather of. Well, of, I uh, personally, I feel that that was Nicholas Meyer saying, "I know what you guys are going to say about this book. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have George Bernard Shaw say it, so that you feel stupid for even trying to say a better argument than him." Because he's saying that about Shakespeare. 
Right. Seriously, you're going to criticize me for this. <laughs> Shakespeare did the same thing. Deal with it, suckers. And yeah. then he moved on with the plot. But 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 certainly, um, even if you did not have a knowledge, I think in this book of of, of English theater of that particular era, you could still learn uh, a lot from what yeah. Meyer, the background that he that he provides. Um, it's not it's not crucial. No, it's not crucial. Like you don't need to know that no. Gilbert and Sullivan are still popular. No, all you need to know is that they were. They were even then, right? So um, I think it's a book that you know someone who picks up and this is the first home story they may have ever read. Uh, they'll find that enjoyable, and someone who has broad knowledge would find it enjoyable. Yeah, you know, you, I, I, I think a writer always, um, when he's writing for a um, a wide audience, um, you know, it's it's a real it's a real trick to to capture the interest of both people who are. I call them foamers, you know, people yeah. who are passionate or know every nuance about a, a particular subject. It's very difficult to, to get that crowd interested and also the, you know, the general reading. Well, then he was very prepared for Star Trek because that's pretty much the entire thing. I, yeah. Right. I would say that's, yeah. you know, a novice like me could enjoy something like The Wrath of Khan yeah. mm-hmm. and yet truckies yeah could. that's part of why like i think a lot of the time during these episodes we've we've sort of come back to uh, you know his stuff is great everyone in the star trek community everyone everyone's a huge fan loves his work also we try to use it to break people in yeah usually like if someone <laughs> yeah. if someone says like i've never seen star trek before what should i watch you know one of the the inevitable go-tos is wrath of khan you know i yeah. I, I think that's very interesting you know yeah. uh you know the um the, the Sherlockians, you know, you don't think ab- about that group in the same uh, setting as you do uh, Star Trek people and, 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 and Star Wars people. And you, Oh, you no, know, no, I do. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, I totally stereotype Right, them. but, 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 but <laughs> boy, I mean, talk about people who get incensed or, yes. or, or you guys probably heard of the Baker Street Irregulars. Yeah. Yes. Which, which uh, I read uh, Nicholas Meyer after, mm-hmm. I think. He dedicates, I think, the book to the Baker Street Irregulars. Does he? Yeah. He's, and he's he now, was actually, he's now, I think, uh, inducted into uh, yeah, the Yeah, he was inducted into their ranks. But, but he, um, I, I mean, when, when you start writing and you know that there's this group out there that, you know, they, they know what Holmes had for lunch on a certain day in a certain place, you know, the ability to gain their respect and acceptance as well as the general reader, mm-hmm. um, the uninitiated, that's a hard trick to pull off. Well, can, can, can you describe what they are just for? Yeah. Well, the Baker Street Irregulars, um, how would I describe them? A fan club on steroids maybe, you know, in terms of their um, their devotion, their their passion. Different. There, there are different chapters of the Baker Street Irregulars, um, probably too numerous to even name. And... Um, Many of the chapters uh, have activities, you know, where they will gather on Holmes's birthday and have a yeah. dinner, uh, and the people will dress from the period, and they will have quizzes on Sherlockian knowledge. And at one point, I used to subscribe to it, and I'm not sure if it still exists, but I used to get the Baker Street Journal, and it was basically a collection of academic essays that were uh, sent in by amateurs and professionals alike. And they would uh, parse every little 
detail about yeah. the Holmes stories. And Did somebody ever get around to writing some of those things that Holmes apparently wrote, like the the, oh. the tobacco ash stuff? Yes, yes. I, I, I want to read those. I, I mean, and, <laughs> and, and you know, I, I think it actually all started in, in New York, and I want to say it started sometime in the 1930s or 40s. But, you know, they, they are people that have just found their – their 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 passion in in the in the in the world of the 1880s London and and, and Sherlock Holmes and uh, those people are probably as as passionate as, as the people that you see going to Star Trek conventions and Star Wars conventions. There's there's really no, you know, it, it's it's just that they have found something that they that they really enjoy, they really relate to. Um, I think it's all meant in good fun. Some people take it too seriously, of course. You know, <laughs> go a little bit over the top. I don't but. see how that's possible. <laughs> Well, you know, uh, you have to keep... Don't explain. Okay, yes, okay, all right. Um, as far as the, the book itself is concerned, um, what, Uncle Tony, what are, your, what are your thoughts just on the whole, like as a book? Like, Very easy to read. Uh, I think for someone who maybe has not been exposed to the canon, it would be a very gentle way of being introduced to Holmes and getting the flavor of what he's about and, and Watson. You don't have to have a lot of background knowledge at all about yeah. the setting or the character. It's a standalone, which oftentimes is a problem with um, recurring characters. If you don't start at the beginning, you've lost the whole. Yeah. You know, um, I think an uninitiated person to Holmes could pick this up and say, "Oh, that was a really good mystery." You know, I. Yeah. I it made sense. The characters were well developed. I kind of have an understanding of this guy Holmes and his friend Watson and in 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 that particular era in uh, in in London. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think I think Meyer did a really nice job of of. Um, there are references to previous events, though. Oh, sure, there. But are. They all have those little footnotes that are very they're, they're very succinct. It's like it's like when yeah. did he meet Doctor Agar? I don't remember that happening. Yeah. And it's like oh, and that one. And I'm like oh yeah, I kind of remember that. <laughs> I, I think it's I, th- I think it's really um, interesting that the footnotes that he has, you know, um, and, and he keeps referring to Baring Gould, uh, William Baring Gould, who is kind of the um, the great grandfather of the Sherlockian experts. William Baring Gould wrote a, um, uh, I think it's a two volume annotated um, anthology of Sherlock Holmes. Uh, Baring Gould um, took the Holmes canon and. Any reference to a place, a historical figure, a historical happening, he annotated it and footnoted it so that you could read uh, The Sign of the Four or Study of yeah. Scarlet. And, you know, in, in Study of Scarlet, where Holmes and, 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 and Watson meet for the first time. Yeah. Baring Gould will, will will take the hospital laboratory that they met in, yeah, and will say, you know, this is St. Bartholomew's Hospital. Don't quote me on St. Bartholomew, but somehow that sticks in my yeah. mind. And it existed from you know, eighteen something to eighteen. And it was noted for blah 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 blah. And so he fills in all the background that maybe someone not knowledgeable about that time, that place. You you feel like you know what he's talking about. It would be like saying um, Oak Park Hospital. Well, I know where Oak Park Hospital is. I know where it's situated. I know what it looks like. I know, yeah. And and 
but but Baring Gould just takes this for every reference. And so if you entered his office while he was writing this and you saw everything on the walls and all the pins on the map, you yeah. would assume that he was tracking some sort of extremely dangerous terrorist. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Baring Gould now is 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 the probably the the um, best example of someone who I would call a foamer, you know, I referred yeah. to that before. But but in a very academic way, you know, I mean, he takes every part of that can. And that's what Holmesian people like, and that's what, like, I'm assuming Star Trek people yeah, like. The Star Trek version of that would be Mike Okuda. And he is also sort of like the unofficial or sometimes official historian of Star Trek. He's written a chronology, an okay. encyclopedia. Mm-hmm. He's done tons of stuff like this. Meyer did a great job here of um, writing for both an uninitiated audience and a former audience and making an entertaining story and a believable character for for both of those extremes. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's hard to do. It's hard to, it's hard to satisfy that, that former crowd especially. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my sense is just the mere fact that, you know, he is able to dedicate this book to the Baker Street Irregulars and then be inducted into a Baker Street Irregular um, society. That's, pretty much a testament to his uh, research, I think, and his, uh, you know, being faithful. Oh, yeah. He, you know, he, he, he's faithful. You know, he doesn't... He, he is. He doesn't take someone else's character and make no. him his own. You know, too many people, too many authors want to do that. They want to take a character who already exists yeah. and put their own spin on, and, 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 and to his credit, I think, I think Meyer doesn't do that. You know? I think so. that's, that's actually one of the, the exceptional things that, that Meyer seems capable of, that... And most people, even if they were trying not to, they would inevitably rub off on the character. And yeah, he seems able to um, read uh, or, or absorb the source material, yeah. and then somehow get it right. in a way that most people would require years I th- I of think research that, to get. I I would agree with you totally, and 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 I think that's got to be very hard. It, it's almost like the lack of of an ego in terms of of projecting yeah. your own. You know, you're just. You're taking this character, yeah, and you are just putting him in a different situation. I mean, the, the astonishing thing is yeah. that, like, he did that with Sherlock Holmes, and then ama- amazingly enough, he did it with Star Trek mm-hmm. and Captain Kirk, yeah. and somehow he managed to actually look at the material yeah. and not project any of himself into those characters, and then like actually see things in them that yeah. were there. And, and and the interesting difference between those two is where he was like a huge Sherlock Holmes fan. Mm-hmm. He had basically never seen Star Trek before getting right. that job, which means like his his mutant power <laughs> might have been formed while researching Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, but it's not exclusive to it. Mm-hmm. So no, he can I, he can turn that on something else. Yeah. And I mean, maybe maybe Disney will hire him for Star Wars, and mm-hmm. we spared yeah, a lot of nonsense. I I mean, I think that's a rare. <laughs> That's a rare uh, quality in an author. Um, you know, I, I, I've read a million um, non-Sherlockian books that pretend to be sequels to a, another famous mm-hmm. book. And, yeah. And you're always kind of left, or at least I'm kind of left feeling, well, that doesn't seem like Ian Fleming's character. You know, mm-hmm. that doesn't seem like Bond. You know, that's not... With, with Byers' books, uh, my impression is... I think Conan Doyle would have been happy with the with the portrayal. Now you have one uh, Holmes on the range, you know, where Holmes is like a cowboy character. That's not mm. real. You made that up. <laughs> I wish I had. <laughs> uh, but 
my impression is it's gotten easier to write maybe a case where it's been in the public domain now for mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure but but certainly you see a lot more of these than I remember as a youth you know maybe in the 70s and 80s you just you know you can go to any any bookstore you can go on Amazon yeah. or Barnes and Noble website put in keywords throughout Holmes and you'll find yeah. tons of things you know and not always of the best Quality. Oh, <laughs> I think that it's perfectly reasonable that he was also a vampire hunter. Oh, well, yeah, yes, you know, yeah, yeah, well, Holmes, you know. If anyone could be a vampire hunter at night while being a, a, a well-employed detective during the day, it would be, you know, um, robot Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Sarah that, Holmes books, Holmes for the Holiday. <laughs> Holmes. That's not real. You meant that. <laughs> Collection of short stories, Holmes at Christmas. No. I mean, really? My, my impression is that Holmes was not overly concerned with... You're making this up. That's not real. Cr- Christmas. You I know? don't I mean, you. he didn't impress me as the... Don't show me any evidence of this. Well... I don't, uh, want, you, I don't, be, I don't want you to prove your point. I, I, have, I, have, I, have, I have gotten rid of most of those uh, okay. and, 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 and sent them on to a better home. Holmes but. saves Santa. Well, Max, what did, what, did you, what did you think about the book on the whole? Um, I, you know, I... I read the seven percent solution and I enjoyed it, despite being you know dramatically kind of wonky. Mm-hmm. It kind of limps along until it concludes. This one has a much more like solid story. Yeah. It has like it's more encapsulated. There's kind of like a bubble. It's like it starts on one side and in the middle of it there's a whole bunch of London. <laughs> like you more or less just sort of like traveling yeah. around London. Like like hey let's go over there. That's cool. And this guy's funny. And that guy's weird. And Oscar Wilde, yes, um, he is just as odd as you would imagine. And then like you know like they get to the conclusion and it's like it's like oh yeah the mystery. Yeah, I, I pretty much uh, agreed with Max's assessment. You know, I mean, I, I do think it is a stronger story on the whole mm-hmm. as as seven percent than seven percent solution. But uh, I mean, I, I think like, like what Seven Percent Solution does is um, interesting in that it sort of like fixes problems right. with the the continuity. Whereas this one just tells like a really good story. Like in a sense, I kind of wish they were flipped and this one would have been first. But because it's like you know, with Seven Percent Solution, he's like, "There's something that I want to do with this," right. you yeah. know. Whereas with this one, he's like, "I just want to tell a story." Which is fine. But Interestingly enough, I've, since I heard about the Western Horror, I, 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 I had been told by somebody, and I thought for a very long time that Jack the Ripper was in it. Yeah. Because it sounds good. exactly like, yeah, West, like you, Jack the you Ripper. Would think, yeah. but, but Jack the Ripper's the East End Horror. Oh. Oh, obviously. Uh, you know, so. Uh, yes. Yes. The, you know, the Whitechapel thing is on okay. the East End. The East you know, end. the theater district is on the West End. end. Okay. Right. So these guys are West Side. Those guys are East but End. But I wonder how many people did pick up this book. Thinking that it was? Thinking that it yeah. was. Yeah. Jack the Ripper. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this story it's a it's it's a it's a um, it's a good standalone. Um, I'd have no problem recommending it to a um, a person who would come into the library and say, "Hey, you know, I really I've I've, I've read the whole Sherlock Holmes canon. Yeah. Uh, I really I really love this guy. I'm looking for more about him." That's an interesting. That's a question that I that I I want to get to with every time we talk about something like this. Yeah, it's uh, it's like you know, could you could you put this in the canon comfortably? And I would say it doesn't. Almost doesn't matter because you can add it there and it doesn't it doesn't screw anything up. Like it, as a puzzle yeah. piece, it's right. a very small puzzle piece. Yeah, but it's also it's also really good. Like there it is. I it's, put it in there. It's good, and I think you mentioned it before, Max. Um, the only thing that would hesitate that I would hesitate is. Is the writing style is different. It is, but but to his credit, he doesn't try to mimic Conan Doyle's cadence and his. Oh, um, that would not be a good idea. It, it, 
most people won't succeed when they do that. Oh, well, no, I think you it's know? actually technically impossible. So Right, and he's you got to be true to yourself as an author, yeah. and the most you can hope for, I think, is to be true to the character. Right, so the dialogue has to ring true. It has to be like right. appropriate dialogue. Right. He can't he can't like start, you know, like dropping ain'ts in there. You know, I really think it would be very hard if you start writing in that late 19th century prose. Yeah. You're going to confine yourself to just the Sherlockian part of the that that's the another audience. thing that, that okay. John John was talking about was, you know, fights with the publisher over how far he could go, you know. Publishers love Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. But they don't necessarily want right. the writer to be writing for mm-hmm. that 1880s audience, you know? Yeah. They, 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 well, I, I mean, know. like, I've, I've read almost everything Conan Doyle has written, and, yeah. and Sherlock Holmes is probably the most readable. Oh, yeah. Because if you read, like, The Lost World, that book is, is unreadable. Yeah. There are, like, five pages straight of, like, listings. Conan, Conan Doyle was, like, yeah. you know, I mean, uh, we've talked only about Sherlock Holmes, you know. He, well, but, I mean... He, he was he was he was he was an old timey writer. Yes, he was a writer that wrote by gaslight. Yes, that is not a, a writing style that we should approach these days because we have TV and video games and iPods and iPads and and just way too many channels with great entertainment. Check out ABC and too many <laughs> options. Yes, you know I mean when Conan Doyle was writing, you know he's writing. I mean people the Strand Magazine, right? Okay, mm-hmm. so you have people that would wait for weeks. You know, for the yes. next issue of the Strand magazine to come, you know, they'd flood the newsstand and sell out the newsstand. Yeah, you'd, they were starved for because your entertainment was the Strand magazine, uh, Gilbert and Sullivan plays, and the Strand magazine. You know, um, Meyer took this character, brought him into the 20th century, captured the essence and flavor, I think, of of the character in in a, in a way that satisfies the traditionalists. Mm-hmm. And could possibly create interest for newcomers, which I think is is really a great thing. You know, I mean, I I wonder how many people saw this, read this, said, "Oh, I'm more interested. I'm really interested in learning more about you know the real home. You know, the Conan Doyle homes." Um, I always have a favorable impression of someone who, an author who will create interest in the reader to the point where they want to go back to the the original or the basis. You know, and and learn more. Um, you know, he, he he did the Holmesian world a service with this. I think. And any any final thoughts or? I recommend that you watch uh, the Wrath of Khan, because then you're going to be like, "Whoa, where did that guy first appear?" And then you watch Space Seed, <laughs> okay. and you'll be like, "This original series has the worst production design I've ever seen. <laughs> I'm not watching this ever again." Is there anything else that's good? And we'll say Next Generation, and then you'll watch that. Okay, all right. So I, you're going to go back to the Wrath of Khan and rewatch that? Um, I'm. That's an imperative statement. You have to do that. Now. Okay, I have to do that. Yeah. Okay. All right. and, and also, like like John pointed out last episode, Star Trek Six, which is the other one that Meyer did, is very much a Sherlock Holmes type of mystery with Although, Spock as Holmes. There's no red herrings. No, well, there's, there's one. Yeah, one. <laughs> all right, all right. It would be interesting, I think. Um, and I'm sure this stuff now is much more readily available. Um, but to see what the Baker Street Irregular Journal has yeah. said about I'm, I'm sure his work has been parsed by academics and by oh, yeah. Sherlockian scholars. And I, I think it would be very interesting to go and read what, what they have to say. If, if I was a betting man, I would say their 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 commentary would be favorable. Yeah, you know, I imagine um, so too. I, I think he's pretty careful with his details, you mm-hmm. know, and um, yeah. I, I, I think as he's he's as good as anyone who's tried their hands at at recreating the character. 
All right. Well, Uncle Tony, have you got anything that you want to uh, promote or anything? Or No, I would just say, you know, for all you Sherlockians out there or want to be Sherlockians or anyone interested in Sherlock Holmes, visit your local public library. It's a PSA uh, here. And uh, talk to your, your friendly uh, reader's advisory librarian. And if we don't know specifically about what you're asking for, we know how to find it. So uh, I, I, I thank you for the opportunity to, to, to talk about Sherlock. I always enjoy talking about my passions and my my interests. So, no, oh, yeah. Well, thanks for joining us. Yeah, this yeah. was, this was and, very and, fun. Yeah, you guys were great. And, and, thank, and thanks for uh, giving me those books too, so that I could yeah. hang on to them. They might be worth something on uh, eBay. You yeah, know. Well. So. <laughs> um, as always, you can find us uh, at our our other show on commentarytrackstars.com or you can find us. Uh, you can email us at comtrackstars at gmail or find us on Twitter at comtrackstars. Or you can check out this show on Trek.fm in addition to a million other shows, all of which are probably better than ours. Um, So next week, uh, tune in for uh, part five of our Nicholas Meyer series where we will be looking at The Black Orchid, joined by Matt from Literary Treks. Yes. 